Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. A couple years ago, uh, we, I was in a band practice uh, getting ready for a youth night. Um, I play drums on the team, as you saw. But then my uh, role is also kind of like, I guess, orchestrating stuff, making sure everybody's doing the right thing, playing the right parts, um, make sure everybody's in-ear monitors are working, and they never are. Um, like, it's like, Shane, my in-ears aren't working. I'm like, did you try turning them on, Noah, which we did earlier. This, um, and so one uh, practice, we were just like, we were going, and it just sounded bad, you guys. It just sounded really, really bad. And um, so I'm just like trying to like figure out like, okay, this sounds terrible. What's the problem? And, and more specifically, who's the problem? Okay. It's like, is it you? It's, it's, it gets pretty heated. I'm pointing fingers. And, uh, and the bass player and the keyboard player, they're, uh, they're playing different things and it just sounds bad. I'm the drummer. I don't know what the right thing is, but I do know when it sounds bad. So I'm like, one of you guys is doing it wrong. One of you guys needs to change. So they're kind of having this conversation, trying to figure out who's doing what's wrong and who's doing the other thing wrong. And we're having a conversation in music ease, which sounds like this. No, you're playing bum, bum, bum. And it's supposed to be bum, bum, bum. And I'm like, I don't think either of you guys are right. I think it's bum, bum, bum. And then we're like getting heated. Hey, what are you playing? Okay, that sounds fine. What are you playing? Now play it together. That sounds terrible. Why aren't you guys playing the same thing? It's supposed to be like this. And they're like, that doesn't make any sense. It's not on the paper. I'm like, yes, it is on the paper, you guys. And it's getting heated. It's getting frustrated. And then all of a sudden, I look to the right of the keyboard player, the electric guitar player, the entire time has been strumming as hard as he possibly could, trying to figure out the guitar riff for This is a Good Day by Ice Cube. (laughs) And I look at him and I'm like, bud, I think you can cool it for just a moment. We're kind of trying to figure something out. And I, and I I left that night realizing that in that moment, I was trying to accomplish something. We were trying to have a conversation. We were trying to figure something out. And there was this noise that was happening that was unnoticed. It it was unchecked, but it was causing real problems in the conversation. There was this noise that was happening in the background that, that was distracting us and disrupting us from what we were supposed to accomplish, and, and it was going unnoticed. But when I noticed it and said, hey, could you please, for the love of God, man, stop, we were able to do what we were accomplishing to do. And I think for many of us, we live with a kind of noise banging around, strumming around inside us that is distracting us and disrupting us from what we're supposed to do and who we're supposed to be. There is this hum of anxiety that just exists in our stomachs and in our chests and in our thoughts that we, we don't really notice but we see the consequences of those things inside of us. 
I believe that's why Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 1.7 as he is encouraging a young Christian leader, a young pastor to fully walk in his call and to be all that God has created him to be. And Paul writes to this young man in the faith and says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. This idea of sound mind, many Bibles uh, uh, translate it to self-control. And it's really this idea of, of controlling the self, but specifically the inner self. It's specifically the, the self that is inside you that nobody else sees. It's the self that we tend to spend way too much time with. It's the self that we really get irritated with. And what Paul is saying is a sound mind, self-control, the inner parts of us working together in harmony with our deepest and truest desires. It is different than noise, it's sound. One of the most annoying and horrible sounds in the world is a baby crying. It's terrible. But one of the most joyful sounds in the world is a baby laughing. And we can't quite explain what the difference between noise and sound is, but we notice it, how it makes us feel. And I believe that when Paul is talking about a a spirit of a sound mind in combat to the spirit of fear, he is speaking to this idea of sound or peace or harmony working together in combat to the noise that's happening around us. Anxiety has become the leading mental illness, I guess you could call it, or mental deficiency that our culture is facing. About one in four student-aged individuals are dealing with what people call anxiety disorders. That means that the, the feelings of anxiety or worry, that heaviness in your gut or tightness in your chest or, or cloudiness in your mind that causes us to be frantic and fearful is the, the most common feeling that we face in most days. About one in seven adults uh, deal with the same thing. But just about 15 years ago in 2007, that number was drastically lower. It's about 8% of adults. And then 2007 to 2012, it increased quite a bit, which 2007 was the year the iPhone came out. 2012 was the year that about everybody was on social media. Probably has something to do with it. Also, the world was supposed to end in 2012. But it didn't, and I had to go to uh, science class nonetheless. At the beginning of 2020, uh, the, the research showed that it was about 20% of adults were dealing with the, that feeling of anxiety disorder. And at the end of 2020, the number went all the way up to nearly 40%. Anxiety is, is something that many of us live with and many of us have grown to ignore. The hums that are going on inside us, the butterflies that, that come up, those anxious thoughts and those, those, those worries and fears that, that are fueling our, our lack of self-confidence or our, our lack of uh, the way that we want to present ourselves. Those feelings within us often go unchecked. 
But with the increase of anxiety in the world, there's also been a tremendous increase in anxiety research. Almost a trillion dollars a year goes into some sort of anxiety treatment, whether it's classes people take or therapy sessions or scientists developing the new anti-anxiety drug or uh, books that people write that um, you purchase. Uh, There is money being poured into anxiety research, and and people have found out that the most successful uh, way to kind of combat anxiety or treat anxiety is something called the cognitive behavioral therapy treatment, which is essentially uh, uh, the patient sitting down with a well-trained individual therapist and kind of walking them through a step program to kind of rewrite the stories that people often tell themselves and rewrite their thought processes. Essentially what it is is uh, people have summarized it to anxiety can kind of create a isolated world that exists within someone. And the CBT treatment is a therapist kind of prompting questions to allow someone else to enter that world, kind of grab their hand and guide them out of it. With all the increased anxiety in our culture and all the increased research anxiety, it seems that we've finally caught up with what the Apostle Paul wrote 2,000 years ago in Philippians 4 and verse 6. When he says, be anxious for nothing... But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. My message title tonight is What to Do When You're Anxious. What to do when you're anxious, when the noise that is going on within you is kind of assuming control of your body, you don't know what to do, you don't know where to go, you don't know what to think or where to look, and I'm hoping I can give you a roadmap for in those feelings on what to do when you're anxious. And if I can use the word, words of Paul, don't be. It's the worst advice ever. Thanks, Paul. Jesus, in another case, he's just like, why do you worry? Does it make you taller? I'm like, that's a bit insensitive, Jesus, don't you think? <laughs> but Paul, he says, be anxious for nothing, but instead pray about everything. What to do when you're anxious? We need to have directed attention onto God. I believe that that is the simplest definition of what prayer is. Prayer, if I can boil it down to just a couple of words, it is one of the foundations of the Christian faith. It's one of the foundations of what we do as believers, how we relate to God, how we communicate to God. But if I can simplify it into a short phrase, prayer is directed attention onto God. Prayer is the way that we, in a sense, sit down with a trained professional As we have a cloudy world that is happening inside us, we're fearful of our future, we're fearful in relationships, we're worried about the way we look or the way that we feel or the way that we think or we're worried about our family or we're worried about whatever and we sit down and we open up to someone who's on the receiving end. The Bible tells us that we have access to the throne room of God. 
It's this interesting idea in the book of Hebrews when it says, come boldly into the throne room of grace where you would find help for your time of need. It's this weird picture of a throne room in a palace, but us having unlimited access to it. It's this idea that God is our Father and we can come close to Him, but He's also powerful enough to do something about our situation. Prayer is the means by which we tether ourselves to the reality of the nearness of God and we are granted access to the power of God. So when we are feeling anxious, what we need to do is direct our attention onto God. Most of the time, this is what it sounds like. Help! Or what I usually do is, Lord. Like that. It's like, like Lord, please. It's the ninth inning. Dodgers are down six runs. Like, Lord, please. It's directed attention onto God. Now, I think when we bring up the topic of prayer, there is kind of instantly in our minds uh, a hesitation to prayer. There's instantly like a... And I think that's because we have prayed, I'm sure, for a lot of things. Lord, I forgot to study. Please, God, let me pass this test. And you go in and you fail. Or, or please, Lord, would you, would you take this, this feeling away from me? Or, Lord, would you bring friends? Or would you restore this relationship? Or would you help my family life? Or would you heal this person? Or whatever. And we, we pray to God, and it seems like it's falling on deaf ears. And so when I'm telling you, be anxious for nothing, but instead direct your attention to God and pray, you're like, whenever I've prayed, nothing happens. The, the harsh reality of prayer is often we don't have a proper view of the effectiveness of prayer. Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying and sweating drops of blood, saying, Lord, would you take this cup of suffering away from me? And what he means is, Lord, would you remove the cross from my future? And what, what happened? Jesus went to the cross. Jesus' prayer didn't work, right? Lord, would you take the cross away? And God said, no. And so often we will pray for things and, and the cup of suffering will not be removed. But I would argue that Jesus' prayer in the garden for the cup to be removed is the very thing that actually made him able to bear the cup that God was giving him. And what, what I want to pull from that is that prayer does not always change your situation, but it always changes you. As you approach God and direct your attention onto God in an open way where you say, Lord, this is what's going on in my life. You can have access to all of me. Your situation very well may not change, but God will change you in the process. What to do when I'm feeling anxious? Direct my attention towards God. Second thing is I want to, we need to direct our attention onto the things of God. Direct our attention onto the things of God. Let me tell you a little bit about my diet. About my, it's really my previous diet, but I'm still going to own it. I wake up in the morning 
I go to Salvi, the coffee shop I get. It's usually on Thursdays. Thursday's the worst, okay? I get a chocolate croissant. I like chocolate croissants. They're delicious. Have that with my cup of coffee. Then around 10 o'clock, I usually get the hankering for something. Maybe something sweet after the chocolate croissant. Maybe something salty. Um, lately, since I've been working at, at church, I'll kind of sneak off into the green room. They've got like trail mix. And with like, it's like M&M's. Just eat a bag of M&M's, basically. And when I used to work at the barber shop, I would go next door and get this big old uh, like hummus sandwich that was just like loaded with carbs. And I would pound that down. And then Julianne usually brings me lunch. A lot of the time, it's like a hearty sub sandwich with Miss Vicky's jalapeno chips and a, and a nice glass of Coke. And I just enjoy the heck out of that. Okay? And so that is good. That nourishes my body. Lord Jesus, would, would this nourish my body? It's like the, the food to nourish your body. And uh, it fills me up. And then later on in the day, uh, I, I would get hungry. Now, I've sworn off McDonald's, okay? Actually, talking about this in the book is what made me change my diet, okay? So I am a new man, but I'm still using it. Uh, I, would, I would be hungry later on. Uh, leaving work to, to get to a youth night, need to fuel up, so I'd run through the McDonald's drive through real quick, get a couple of McDoubles, maybe a McChicken, value fry, large Coke. I'd probably sprinkle in, I'd say four or five Cokes in a day. P- pretty good. And then I, like, go to youth night, I'd come home, and I'd eat a big bowl of pasta. Julianne makes incredible pasta, the best pasta in the world. Uh, for some reason, you home groupers, you never eat that much of it, but I swear it's the best in the world. And I have a couple bowls of pasta, and then I, I, I finish uh, the pasta, you know, I get ready for bed, kind of unwind, watch a couple innings of the Dodger game, and watching other people exercise, doesn't it just make you hungry? So I go in, make myself some ramen noodles, Miss Vicky's jalapeno chips, and end the night with probably my second Shirley Temple of the night. If I'm feeling crazy... I'll eat a couple of Oreos. That's terrible, isn't it? The way that I would feel at the end of a day like that was just way stronger than you. Like I could do anything. I'm kind of a wimp now that I don't eat like that. I'm like, oh, that hurt my tummy. It's like you used to be so strong. Now, it's obviously ridiculous when I walk you through what I used to eat. But now, if I were to ask you what you thought about throughout the day, it would probably look a lot like my diet. Filled with unnutritious, non-nutritious, anti-nutritious. It was actually depleting nutrients from me as I ate it. But your thoughts, we tend to dwell on what I call junk food thoughts. Kind of the simple, easy, quick solutions for our problems. What it looks like is complaining about someone else when you actually did something wrong. What it looks like is gossiping about your friend behind their back because you're actually insecure about something. It, 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 is, it is thinking that you will never amount to anything or never be able to accomplish because the, your own insecurities are actually driving your future. 
and your fears. You're making decisions out of worry and out of fear. Junk food thoughts are what's easy and what's accessible. And actually, it, it will waste a lot of my time. It gives me something to do as I drive to school and, and think about how that person said this, but they probably meant that. And so we dwell on it, and all it does is it, it builds situations up to occupy way more space within ourselves and, and is adding to the noise. And at the end of the day, we wonder why we feel bloated. And so we need to stop and evaluate what goes on in our mind. Paul would say that we need to take every thought captive and align it with the will of Christ. He would say in Romans to not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He would say in Colossians to set your mind of the, on the things above. And in Ephesians, he would say be renewed by the spirit of your mind. To the Apostle Paul, the mind was the place where learning about God got transformed into living for God. And so we need to evaluate what's going on in our minds and align it with the will of Christ. In the section that we read in Philippians, the following verses, Paul says this, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. If we want to get rid of our anxiety and instead step into the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, we need to meditate on the things of God. I want to look at three specific things that Paul writes about here and then we'll close. Instead of junk food thoughts, we need nutritious thoughts. We need to dwell on what is true. So often we are living with a worldview that is based upon other people's opinions. Opinions on social media. We see opinions like on the news. We hear opinions that our parents have or opinions about us that our parents have or that other people have. And, and opinions actually have shaped us into living and feeling a certain way. But Paul encourages us to meditate on the truth. And not just things that are true, but the truth. Jesus says this in John chapter 8. He says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed and said, If you abide in me, in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus makes it very clear. If you want to be free you need to know the truth. And he says, if you abide in my word, the tr which is truth, the truth will make you free. Rather than opinions and focusing on opinions of people or opinions of other, other people or friends or family, we need to focus on the truth of Jesus. If you are anxious, the truth will set you free. If you're bound by sin, the truth will set you free. If you are depressed or bitter or lost or broken, the truth will set you free. 
We see the world through the view of a culture or opinions on TikTok or things we heard from someone who heard from someone. And this is a wishy-washy and weak way to live. And then we wonder why we're anxious when, when the foundation of our life is something that moves almost every moment. We need to meditate on the truth of God's word. Secondly, we need to meditate on whatever things are pure. When people come over to my house, less so with Sid because it's impossible, but we used to clean up. We used to kind of, now I just throw all the toys into this one bin, and then later he's like, Daddy, I can't find my, my watch. And I'm like, I put it in the bin. It's like the bin is just overflowing with things. But we used to clean up. When people come over, we want to present ourselves a certain way. Now, the problem with our mind is that nobody ever comes over. What if I were to take a step into your mind when that person walked by? Or when, 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 that, when that girl or guy walked by and we're thinking about things that are impure that if someone else found about, we'd be like, whoa, that's not really what I meant. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, he would say, you have heard that it was said of the, to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is saying what you think about is equal to what you do. If you are thinking impurely, it is actually causing you to feel impure and then you wonder why you're anxious and you can't feel like you are close to God. We need to meditate on what is pure. Worship team, you guys can come up here as I begin to close. Third, we should meditate on praise. Reading through the Old Testament after the Israelites have been set free out of slavery in Egypt and they are wandering through the wilderness and they're, they're given the kingdom and reigned by judges and reigned by kings and all of the history of Israel, over and over and over again, God encourages them to remember that they were slaves in Egypt and by God's mighty hand they were delivered. I think that we have a tendency to always look for the newness that God is doing. And so we forget to hold on to what God has done. And if we, if we fail to hold on to what God has done in us, chances are we will miss what God is doing, the new thing. So we need to be people who meditate on the things that are praiseworthy. We look to God and we see what he's done for us, how he's delivered us. And, and that builds our faith to trust in him that he will do it again. Whatever is, is praiseworthy. Jesus, he, he offers us a different kind of peace than the world brings. Jesus would say himself, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. It's this peace that Paul would describe surpasses all understanding. And that kind of peace, it doesn't always mean our situations change. David would write in Psalm 23, he would say, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David says that on the battlefield, with enemies all around him, that, that is, it is a dangerous, it is a scary, it is a, a fearful place that he is able to take a seat at the table that God has prepared for him. A table that he can sit and commune with God, have relationship with God, have conversation with God. He could be refilled. He could be, he could be nourished. With enemies around him, he can be at a table filled with peace. And let me just encourage you, your situation may not change. Your schedule right now that is overwhelming may not change. You'll still have way too much responsibility and not enough time to get it done. The news is going to keep broadcasting the worst parts of humanity. That's what they do. You'll still hurt your friend's feelings and your feelings will be hurt in return. There will still be a roar of culture and coworkers and classmates and friends that cause you to feel a tightness in your chest and butterflies in your stomach and your emotions are still going to continue to try to run wild and rule your situation. And that's fine. It's okay. It's what we expect. Because you're still going to need to wake up and go to work. You're still going to need to go to school or fill out a college application. You're still going to have to love your friend and try to be an example of Jesus' love in your world. You, you will need to learn to apologize and to accept apologies. You will still need to step out in faith and be caught by the grace and the goodness of God, you'll still mess up. You'll still give in to your emotions and, and reap the consequences of that. Life will continue and diff difficult situations will never stop. But there's a table in the presence of your enemies. There are things that are pure and true and praiseworthy. We have bold access to the presence of God at any time despite what's going on. And even when we pray with sweats of blood dripping out of our skin, Lord, would you change this? And he doesn't. He is still changing you and creating you into the person that he needs you to be. And he wants you to be. And the person that you need to be. As you sit at the table with Jesus and delight in his presence and hear the sound that he sings over you as he's interceding, as he is praying for you to the Father, as he is pouring his spirit out upon you, you have access to a God that knows you and loves you. He knows all your anxious thoughts, and he desires to provide you peace. So my question is, are you going to sit at the table? The psalmist would write that we should strive for peace and work to maintain it. Are you going to sit there? Are you going to listen to the song that, that the, the Spirit is singing over you? Are you going to hear the prayers that Jesus is praying over you? The, the voice that he is, he is calling out to you to step out in faith and to be caught by him? I encourage you, don't let the noise interrupt and distract you from